right, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, my colleague and friend Sharon Brizanov is here. Sharon is the Team 82 Director of Research, and we're going to talk about Pwn to Own Toronto and a few other things that Team 82 is working on. Sharon competed last week at the event and had a big week taking down some gear that is commonly found in small offices, home deployments, even some uh, OT environments. We want to hear all about it. Pwn to Own, you might know, is, uh, well, the Pwn to Own Toronto version is the former Pwn to Own mobile event. And uh, the targets range not only from popular mobile devices, but also included network attached storage, home automation gears, routers, cameras, the works around, across IoT. Um, so like I said, we're looking forward to hearing from Sharon about all of this. Before I bring him in, I really want to thank everyone who's listened and subscribed to the podcast this year. It's been a a busy year with lots of great guests, and uh, I want to thank everyone who's come on this year for uh, for their time. I know everybody's busy, and uh, this is a commitment to come on, so I really appreciate it. We have big plans to keep this thing going next year, and I'm looking forward to bringing these conversations to you again. Um, so let's bring in Sharon. How are you, man? Hey, Mike. Congratulations on last week. Yeah, thank you for your watch. It was uh, it was an amazing event. Yeah, so you're, you've done a few of these Pwn to Own events now. You've done Miami a couple of times, and, and now this one. This one's a little bit of a, a departure for you guys. Uh, the, the the Miami event's obviously ICS-driven. Why uh, why decide to try your hand here at this one? What was the motivation? Yeah, you're correct, Mike. So uh, as you know, Clarity started as or with very uh, intense focus on SCADA, so ICS equipment and uh, SCADA devices. And with time, we, we we kind of started to shift a little bit to IoT, to more IoT domain. So now we're covering what we call the XIoT domain, which covers basically any internet connected device. Uh, so we figured, uh, I mean, our greatest strength is with SCADA and ICS devices, but IoT devices are actually not so different. So they're embedded devices. They usually run RTOS or uh, kind of an embedded Linux operating system. Mm-hmm. So we figured it uh, it might be uh, fun to try to compete in Pwn to Own uh, IoT slash mobile uh, competition. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been to a couple of these in, in Vancouver, some of the original ones, and it's interesting to me that, like, obviously, this is quite clearly marketed as a contest, and there's prizes and the master of pwn winner. But all of you that compete, you guys are looking for zero days, and and zero days in in equipment that's oftenly frequently targeted. So this isn't a casual thing by any means. There's a lot of work that goes into this for you from a researcher's point of view. Yeah, true. So the way pwn to works is that three month ahead of the competition itself the event itself we're been given the target list so zdi are sitting together with a lot of different vendors and cso's uh, from across the industry and they're picking the most lucrative and the most popular devices and they're publishing those as the target list for the upcoming competition so for three months uh, give or take the contestants uh, are trying, or different research teams are trying to figure out different ways to exploit these devices to gain remote code execution on these popular devices. And 
ahead of time, again, before the competition, uh, the contestants needed to have their full chain, the full exploit chain ready. So when they reach to the competition itself, to the Pontoon event itself, the full chain is already ready. And all there is left to, to, to do is to demonstrate on a live uh, event the, the chain itself. And hopefully, if it works, uh, then a full disclosure process begins where both the contestants that just ran the exploit and ZDI, um, uh, ZDI personnel and the vendor itself are sitting together in a room and the contestants are explaining about the bugs they found and how they were able to leverage them into a full exploit chain with RCE as impact. And if everything goes as, as planned, then both the event both the exploit chain works, the device gets what we call pwned or basically hacked, and the vendor learns about new bugs in their software and hardware, and the contestants are being given some kind of a, a prize, usually it's, it's a money prize, uh, ranges in the tenth of thousands, uh, and everybody should be happy. <laughs> Even the lawyers in the back room. I was, I was <laughs> maybe not the lawyers. Yeah, maybe, maybe not the lawyers. Right. I mean, I remember, like I said, the couple of the ones I went to in Vancouver. They would always like take these guys into the secret room somewhere, and you knew there were lawyers there. So I was always curious about what happened back there in that room. But in the end, you're getting stuff fixed, which is the the ultimate prize, right? Especially for users. Yeah. So you know, the, the baseline for me, at least, is. You can find bugs in every software, any hardware, any any device, any target. It depends. It just depends on how much time one would invest uh, and how much resource resources one has um, to invest in such research. Uh, so, mm -hmm. uh, some targets are quite easy, which means not a lot of money from the vendor perspective. Not a lot of money is invested in um, creating a very mature software, I would say, which is bugless and works very well and uh, it's very mature. Uh, but some other vendors are working very hard and they have their internal penetration testing uh, uh, teams and red teams that are trying to find bugs before the devices, before the, uh, the software is being released or published. And so some targets are very hard to exploit. Uh, and we, uh, for this competition, for example, we invested a lot of time and effort, uh, our research team at Clarity invested a lot of time and effort in trying to find bugs in those devices because clearly the vendors worked really hard uh, to make sure uh, if, if there are bugs, it will be very difficult to find. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great fun and uh, eventually we had uh, great success in, uh, in the targets. And I assume it's encouraging to you to see these vendors that not only are, you know, beefing up their products, making it harder for guys like you, but they're also a little more mature in the way, in their processes about receiving bug reports and responding to them and, and triaging the, the vulnerability reports, getting stuff fixed. I mean, you're, I assume you're seeing some improvement in that from vendors. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I think ZDI are doing an amazing job by bringing together to the same table both the researchers, the security researchers, and the vendors, and 
plus ZDI, and we're all sitting together and discussing how we were able to find bugs. So we're kind of, as from the security research perspective, I'm not only I'm giving the vendor some bugs I found in their code, but also the thought process that led us to find mm. those bugs. So it in in the vendor's perspective, this information is priceless because they can take this the same thought process of different hackers from all over the world that are competing in Pwn to Own and educate their internal teams, both the development teams and their penetration teams and the rent teams on how they should try to find bugs because in the competition, all the hackers have great in, uh, a great um, um, incentive to find bugs because not mm-hmm. only they're getting um, money prizes, but also they're getting uh, recognition, worldwide recognition. So they're working very hard in order to find bugs. And their pro- thought process of how they did it is very important in my perspective to the vendors so they can educate their teams. So I think ZDI are doing an amazing job by bringing all the involved parties to the same table. And we're, we had a great discussion on uh, how we were able to find the bugs, the bugs themselves, and what is the recommended security mechanisms and the security mitigations that should be in place for uh, future future software release or hardware release. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting point because developers don't necessarily think the way white hat hackers like you do, or especially the way black hats do, guys that are trying to break software and get in behind the firewall and, and do whatever they want to do. They that's a really important context, I think, for for developers and security uh, managers, right? Yeah, this is correct. So I would like I I love to to think about the situation as follows. So the developers are looking at the device or at the the product as they intended, uh, as the device was originally intended to work. So, for example, if they're writing a feature, they would use the feature the way they intended it to work. From the other side, hackers do not care about how the developers thought this feature should work, but they're looking at the device plainly, which means they look at the device as is. If it's running an operating system, so they don't care about what features are exposed to the user, rather they are thinking of it as a full computer, full operating system that can be potentially exploited. So Mm -hmm. the main difference between a developer and a hacker is that the developers are trying to, to use the devices or software they're working on as intended while hackers are are looking at the device or the target as the way it is yeah and and that's that's hugely different <laughs> um I, I just want to go back to that those those few minutes where you're on stage and you have i don't know you have 10 minutes or five minutes to demonstrate the exploit um just what's going through your head at that point and and i imagine once it works it must be immense relief on your part yeah, so uh, first of all, uh, a lot of uh, nervousing thoughts, I would say, because sure. uh, we've been planning and we've been um, getting ready for this event for a few a few months. So we had a lot of hard work in the process. And if 
something won't go the way we planned in those five minutes, then we're going to lose uh, our attempt and uh, we're going to lose uh, the, the world recognition and the prizes. So these are very intense moments. And uh, obviously I'm trying to be very focused and making sure that everything that uh, I'm doing uh, was just as we planned. Um, but uh, generally, it's a, it's a very happy moment because if it works, then everybody in the room are cheering. We're very appreciative uh, and very supportive. Um, you know, we have this kind of a small hackers community that uh, we're engaging with. So overall, I would say very intense moments. Uh, but if everything works as intended, uh, these are also very happy moments for us sure. because all, all of the hard work... Uh, that we put in in those efforts uh, finally came true. And the fact that these are IoT devices, um, whether they're industrial IoT or more home, small office, it's really interesting that you guys have kind of pivoted a little bit. And, you know, it's a bigger decision to go towards the XIoT necessarily. But um, how, how much different is it for you as a researcher to examine these devices compared to the stuff that you've been doing for a long time that's very narrow, much more narrow in terms of ICS and OT. Is it, you, you mentioned earlier, it's it's not very different, but I was just hoping you could kind of go into that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So uh, if, if, if to be concise, if I understand your question correctly, then you're asking Basically, what's the difference between ICS devices and IoT devices? And and researching them, looking for bugs. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so the the end goal for ICS devices is to work. Is to work and to work uh, with a very predefined cycle times. So uh, all the information being processed and all the output of these devices are uh, are very important to be in a timely manner. So... um, Time is very important for ICS devices, and so their their processing time should be should be very fast and very reliable. From the other hand, IoT devices are usually meant to be um, so they're not they're important to the network and they're important to the users, but they're not as important as ICS devices uh, managing a, a full automation uh, or a machine that needs to do uh, timely mannered operations such as mm-hmm. uh, moving uh, boxes from side to side or um, closing or opening valves. So their end goal is, is a bit different. So we have necessity and we have um, luxury, I would say. So ICS devices are in the necessity group and IoT devices are kind of nice to have, even though we got used to them working all the time and connected to the internet. Uh, So at the bottom line, these end goals or this kind of uh, the purpose of these devices are a bit different. But from the inside, they're quite the same. They're running on embedded hardware. Usually it's it's almost the same CPU, the same specs, the same resources. It's just the software that's running on these uh, embedded devices is a bit different in terms of uh, what tasks are being given priorities and what uh, applications are being written to those devices. So 
from a research methodology perspective, uh, the research is quite the same. I would take the device, I would start to look at what are the potential attack surface or attack vectors that could be applied to this device, what protocols does it uh, work with, uh, what kind of services does it have, uh, what kind of uh, applications uh, users can uh, write through these devices or how can users interact with those devices. So overall, the questions that we ask ourselves when we start these types of research is quite the same. It's just the way we progress within the research on, for example, what what should be our focus point or what protocols should we focus on is a bit different because in ICS, we're probably going to tackle uh, and focus a bit more on the specific ICS protocols because usually it's a very specific implementations uh, mm -hmm. that were written uh, from scratch. So these are the areas that I believe we will see more bugs in, in their code. For, and on the other hand, IoT devices usually do not come with very specialized or specific protocols, but they do expose more attack surface on different services and different applications uh, they're, they're handling or doing. So I would say they're, you know, from a high level perspective, they're pretty much the same. It's just, we need to focus on the differences, the minor differences in each device and what their capabilities are. So you say that IoT exposes a little more attack surface. Um, can you explain a little bit more why that's so? Yeah, so for example, if we'll take uh, modern routers or uh, NAS, network mm -hmm. attached uh, devices, storage devices. So modern in, in the modern era, vendors want to give their users uh, remote connectivity. So not only that I have a router, but I can also control it remotely, even when I'm not home. So right. when I said a, a little bit of more attack surface, I meant that the vendors are adding more and more features that modern users are asking them. So for example, more analytics, more uh, web interfaces, more remote connectivity, uh, more uh, file storage services. So basically because of the great amount of features that, that vendors adding to modern IoT devices, the attack surface on these devices also grow and we can attack different, we can attack the device from different angles. That, that makes a lot of sense. And so, and it's in terms of the devices themselves, um, are, are they, how secure are they in the sense that, you know, are like, are the form factors too small for, or not powerful enough for encryption? Or is it just a matter of, bad authentication and just default passwords and that makes it easier to hack for you like uh, so not really so if we're talking about like the mature vendors and the mature products uh it's not we're not in in the in in the areas of bad passwords or weak mm -hmm. passwords or 
weak authentication. Uh, usually the mature vendors are are past this point and we're reaching to, to a phase where the devices are relatively very secure. It's just the amount of new features being added to these devices make it very difficult for vendors to keep track on all the different attack vectors. And mm-hmm. so the bugs that we're finding on these devices are very, very, very deep and very specific. Gotcha. All right. I, so before we wrap up, I, I did want to ask you a couple of questions about the 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 devices that you guys targeted at, at Pwn to Own. And just for the listeners, we can't share a lot of details because the majority of these bugs haven't been patched. It's a disclosure process, at least 90 days, if not longer. So some high level questions, two NAS devices, one router on, on the NAS devices, there were, all of them, there were a lot of chaining of vulnerabilities just from a high level, from a researcher's point of view, what's the trial and error like for you as a researcher to know you've got the right three vulnerabilities or five vulnerabilities and the sequence and I think from a layman's point of view, like myself, it's interesting to hear about how you arrive at these chains of vulnerabilities that eventually topple over a device or software firm or whatever it might be. Yeah, so usually uh, the reason why we have so much complicated chains, so for example, um, for example, one of the chains we demonstrated in the, the current Pwn2Own competition was constructed of five different bugs. And the reason for this is because the bugs that we're addressing are so difficult to exploit that we need different primitives, which means different bugs that allow us to advance in our exploit in order to get um, in, in order to get further. It's a bit mm-hmm. it's a bit abstract and generic what I just said. It just um, if to explain this uh, simply, so uh, imagine that uh, there is a house protected with uh, alert uh, um, alarm system, mm-hmm. and for example, you do know the code to the alarm system. It's just before the alarm system, there are um, let's say uh, armed bodyguards. So you know how to defeat the alarm system. It's just you need to get passed through the, the bodyguards first. So you start to con- construct a chain of bugs that will allow you to circumvent each, each stage until you, f- you finally reach to the final one. I'm not sure if my example was, uh, was simple enough uh, to, or good enough to understand, but basically we, we needed to construct a very complex chain of different bypasses uh, for us to get to to bypass all the security measures to and get into the system. So, so from your example, do you work backwards? Like, okay, from your example, you know the yeah, code exactly, to house. Exactly. So then, okay, I know the code to house. Maybe that wasn't the easy part, but I've got that. So now I've got to figure out the bodyguards, and then I've got to figure out the fence or the wall. Yeah, exactly. So usually we find. Usually, it's not always the case, but usually we found we find the the final exploit, the mm-hmm. final bug that we want to exploit, and then we go backwards and try to understand how to reach it, how to reach to the point where we're starting to exploit the final bug. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. And and then so like I said, you guys went after two NAS products and a router. Um, just in general, why are routers so buggy? I mean, I, I remember <laughs> writing about router bugs 15 years ago, and it's basically the same, and it doesn't seem to get better. So, 
Uh, well, it's a, it's a question uh, that we should ask the vendors, uh, right? <laughs> uh, I think I think routers or modern routers are buggy because they're not exposed directly to the internet. So uh, since every almost every one of us uh, has a router in his in their apartment, um, these routers are not directly exposed to the internet. And so to exploit the router, one would need to be inside the local area network of the victim. And mm -hmm. and usually it's not the case. So usually if I'm an attacker, I would want to exploit remote devices remotely. Um, and so I think that the, the vendors that are developing routers, especially home routers, are not investing enough resources and enough um, manpower on, on security of these products because they, they assume these routers are not directly exposed to the internet. Mm -hmm. That's at least that's just the theory, my own theory. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure. We would have to ask the vendors. Right. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So last question. Um, we're at the end of the year. You guys have had a, a, an amazing, busy year. You guys have been all over the world sharing your research, et cetera. Do you have a, a wish for next year, something you'd like to see improve or change or just be different for next year in terms of security and, and the work you guys are doing? Um, so I think we've gone through a long way in the security industry and now vendors are much more appreciative uh, towards researchers mm. and we see more bag bounties and we see uh, we see more vendors that are happy to work with security researchers. I just hope this uh, trend line uh, will continue and we'll see more more interaction, uh, positive interaction with the vendors and um, hopefully gonna squash all the bugs. I, I agree with you, man. I think that the days of confrontations between vendors and researchers need to go away 100%. I mean, we're almost there, but I, I agree. I think that's a great one for next year. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Thank you very much. Uh, congratulations again for uh, uh, an impressive week last week and for, uh, for a great year. It's been fun. Thank you very much, Mike, and uh, talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye.